but when it happens, it'll be unmistakable. It'll be like lightning shining out of the east into the west. No one will miss it. Uh, because it's happened suddenly, however, it may catch you off guard. <laughs> but you won't miss it. And uh, you know what that's like when lightning strikes in a thunderstorm? Sometimes the lightning is far away and you start counting. 1,001, 1,002, and you sort of figure out how far it is, and then after five it strikes, and you know it's been a mile away or whatever the situation is. But sometimes, guess what? When it strikes, it feels like it's almost hit your house, doesn't it? And you're caught off guard, because that's what it's going to be like when the Son of Man comes. No one knows the time or the hour, but it'll be all inspiring. And he said, because it's going to come suddenly, uh, and it's important that you're prepared for it, that you're not caught off guard. And he told a couple parables. The parable of the fig tree and the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants to say, you need to be ready. Okay. He also made an analogy there in the beginning of chapter 24. He said, the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah. People are going around just doing their daily business, and guess what? One day it started to rain, caught everybody off guard. Noah and his family went inside the ark, and God closed the door. And once that door was closed, it was too late to get in. You had to be prepared. When God said, enter the ark, you had to enter the ark. Otherwise, you missed it. So you had to be prepared. Now today, we're going to see Jesus gives two more parables. And the first parable is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins that Peggy read about, and that's verses 1 through 13. And then the second parable is the parable of the talents, which covers verses 14 through 30. So let's look at the first parable. Okay? And we're in chapter 25, and verse 1. So here's what it says. Then the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is Luke's, uh, Matthew's way of uh, just saying kingdom of God, they're both the same. Uh, the kingdom of God, that's when heaven invades earth in a sense, God sets up his kingdom on earth. The kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now there's, this is discussing a wedding party, a wedding procession. And the key figures here are the bridesmaids, and there are ten of them. And so, it says just ten virgins. These would be young girls of marriageable age. Uh, they're waiting for that wedding ceremony and the party when the bride picks up, takes her garter, and gets it to flip. And they're ready to grab it. Ten virgins. These are her bridesmaids. Pretty big party, isn't it? Ten bridesmaids. So we're dealing with a, a wedding party here, and in Bible times, uh, weddings were very elaborate things, especially in wealthy families. There was first a betrothal period where the young man asked the woman to marry him, and she said yes, and they were betrothed. Sort of like our engagement, but it was legally binding. Once you said yes to each other, you were husband and wife legally. Not physically, but legally. And that betrothal period lasted one year. And it was uh, just a time of preparation. And then there was a one of the things you had to do, the young man had to negotiate with the girl's father. 
the father had to pay a dowry to the young man to get the get his daughter off his hands. Because up until that time, she was the father's responsibility is take care of her, pay for her. And now he's going to give her to a, another young man to take care of, and he's going to have to negotiate and give the young man something to take the daughter off of his hands. And so they're negotiating. And then at the end of the year, the young man would come to the girl's house to claim his bride and take her back to his house where the marriage would be consummated physically. And so that's the scene. Uh, the bridesmaids are waiting for the young man to come and claim his bride. They each will have a torch that's lighted with oil. They will march through the city. It's a very formal procession. They will go back to the bridegroom's house where his father and his that family lives. The marriage will be physically consummated and there will be a big party that lasts for seven days. So that's the scene. So these girls are already waiting for the bridegroom to come and claim the bride. And while they do, there is a delay. And so we read what it says. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Okay? So here we divide the ten into two categories, the wise and the foolish. Uh, very interesting, in that previous parable, in verse 45, 24-45, he talks about a faithful and wise servant. Do you see that? That was the last parable we looked at a week ago. A wise and faithful servant. Look at these girls in verse 2. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Same categories. Only now we're talking to the parable being about servants. It's about bridesmaids. Okay? So five of them were wise, five were foolish. We're given the reason. Verses 3 and 4. Those who were foolish took their lamps, their torches, and took no oil with them, as Peggy read into it, it meant extra oil. And we'll see that as we look at the context. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps or their torches. Because they're going to lead that procession, holding their torches, and going back to that groom's father's house. Now we have a problem. What happens if the bridegroom is delayed? He gets off late. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? What happens if he's still negotiating with the father? <laughs> and they're finally making a compromise and making a deal. Uh, you're probably going to need a little extra oil because you weren't anticipating the thing to last that long and your oil could run out. So you need to be prepared and have that extra oil. And that's what this is all about. So verse 5 says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they slumbered and slept. It starts getting late. They're expecting him at 7. And guess what? It's now 8. He doesn't show up. 9, 10, 11. He's still not there. And so they say, so let's take a nap. Because we need to be ready when he comes. So they all take a nap. 
because of the long delay. Nothing wrong with taking a nap. That makes sense. Now look at verse 6. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. So, now he shows up. And guess what? He shows up at midnight. When they least expect it. They figured, well, it'll probably be the next day now. But he shows up at midnight. Then all those virgins arose, all ten of them, they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. We have enough to get about a block or two, but we're going to run out of oil. Give us some of yours. And uh, verse 9 says, But the wise answered, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you. If we give you some of ours, both of ours will run out. And we won't be able to fulfill our responsibilities of this ritual and lead the procession through the city. We won't be able to do our duty. So in verse 9, they suggest, Go to those who sell and buy for yourself. Um, because of their lack of preparation, these foolish virgins find themselves in a dilemma or an emergency. Now, in those days, they didn't have 24-hour Walgreens. Where are you going to find oil at midnight? You're going to have to scour around to find this oil. And so that's what they do. They, because it doesn't say the bridegroom has arrived. It says the bridegroom is coming. So they figure, maybe we can go out and get some before he arrives, and we can get in on this procession. So that's what the situation is. But this is no easy task, finding oil. So verse 10 says, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Notice that while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. In other words, the procession continued. They went to the father's house, and the door was shut. What happened with Noah's ark? The door was shut. And when that door is shut, it's too late. Only those who got in got in. So verse 11 says, Afterwards the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, open to us. In fact, they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, have you ever heard that before? You have. You've seen it. Look over at Matthew 7. Very famous verse. Matthew 7, verse 21. Look what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, isn't that what they just said? Lord, Lord, open to us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So when you go back and you look at verse 11, 25, 11, it says, they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Same words. 
And this is all, what is this parable about? What's verse 1 say this parable is about? It's about the kingdom, isn't it? They're trying to get into the kingdom. That's what this parable is about. And uh, he says, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. Because when he came, they weren't there. They, he doesn't recognize them. He said, you weren't part of the bridal party. And so he does not allow them in. Now here is the lesson. Look at verse 13. This is the lesson that we are to learn. Watch therefore. Every parable has one lesson. And here's the one lesson that we're to get from this parable. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That means we need to be prepared. Because if he comes and we're not prepared, we will not enter into the kingdom of God. We must be ready. In the parable, the bridegroom delayed. How long has it been since since Christ died and rose and went into heaven to the dead? 2,000 years. Jesus told his apostles, be ready, it can happen in your lifetime. And guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen in the next generation, the next century, the next 10th century, the next 20 centuries, and here we are, and it still hasn't happened. And the tendency is for us who say, Lord, Lord, who claim to be part of the bridal party, who walked forward and made a profession, because the delay has been so long, there's a tendency for us not to be prepared. And I'm afraid that some of us are going to be caught off guard and he's going to say, I never knew you. Notice that the kingdom of God is likened to a feast, a wedding party. And we're going to miss out on this messianic banquet. So that's the lesson that we need to learn. Now we come to parable number two. It's the parable of the talents. In my opinion, it's a confusing parable because the word talent is used. And when you think of talent, guess what you think of? Talent. <laughs> and it doesn't mean talent. So now we have a situation where probably the translators should have used another word because it confuses people in the 21st century. So here's the second parable. Look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Now here again, most of the parables in the Bible are about the kingdom of God. Okay? Some aspect of it. And this is no different. The kingdom of heaven is like. A man traveling to a far country. That's what Jesus has done. He has left. Okay. Who called his own servants and he delivered his goods to them. So the implication is he has given them his goods, resources. And they are to be stewards of those goods in his absence. Okay? Okay? That's the story. In his absence, his servants are to be stewards of his, what's called here, his goods or his resources. Look at verse 15. And to one he gave five talents. To another he gave two. And to another one. Now, 
the talent in Bible times was a measure of weight. Okay? A measure of weight. When it applied to coinage, it would be like one ounce of gold. <laughs> one ounce gold coin. Or it could have been 16 ounces of a gold bar. It's a weight. And it has value. Okay? So what he's done is he's given, we can, for just our, just for simplicity purposes, we can say he gave one five ounces of gold. They may have given him 50, I don't know. But we'll just say for simplicity, say we'll call it gold coinage. He gave five, one, five pieces of gold. So that would be equivalent to today $1,300 an ounce times five. You know, what are you dealing with? I don't know, a lot. So we're dealing with, you know, let's say fifteen or twenty thousand okay. dollars. He gave two to the second guy, two ounces of gold, twenty-six hundred dollars. Okay. And he gave the last guy one. So they all have something of worth. Okay, that's what a talent is. And uh, probably he gave a lot more than that. It wouldn't just be equivalent to our gold. It'd be something very valuable. Okay. So there's what he says. He gave. 1, 5, verse 15, 1, 2, another 1. Now watch this next statement. To each according to his ability. And immediately he went on his journey. He gives each one what he thinks they can handle. They're not all equal in ability. Everybody's equal in the sight of God, as far as just being human, and He values us. But guess what? We're not all equal in ability. You know, give me a million dollars, and you'll see what I can do with it. You know, give somebody who's an investor a million dollars, and you'll see what he can do with it. And you'll say, well, Street and him both had the same amount. Why did this guy make a hundred times more than Street? It's because I don't have the ability. I don't have the aptitude. The master realizes each is ability, so he gives one who has more ability, five, next two, next one, each according to his ability, and he goes on his trip, okay? So they all have certain goods or resources, which are different, and they all have certain abilities which are different. You got that? Two things. What do they have? Resources that differ. And abilities that differ. That's the key. Okay. So now look at verse 16. Then he who received five talents went and traded them, and he made another five talents. A 100% yield. Not bad. Look at verse 17. And likewise, the guy who had two gained two more. 100% yield. Now, if you gave that second guy five talents, he would have gotten really nervous. So I don't know how to handle that much, but he can handle two, and guess what? 100% yield. Now look at verse 18. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Zero percent yield. 
0% yield. He didn't use the ability that he had. He didn't do anything with his ability. He didn't do anything with the resources. Just dug a hole and put it in there. Didn't earn anything for his master. His master expected something in return when he came back from his trip. But this man buries his one ounce of gold. And guess what he did? Just went on with his own business. Didn't do anything about the master's business. Wasn't serving the master. Served himself. Just concerned with his own daily life. Instead of doing something for the master. Now look at verse 19. After a long time, that sounds like a delay, doesn't it? After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now comes the day of reckoning. And when Christ comes, there's a day of reckoning. Okay? And look what he does. So, he who had received five talents, verse 20, came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord... You delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. Well, that is great. Look what happens. Verse 21, his Lord said, Well done! Good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. Meaning, during my absence. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of of your Lord. Now remember, this is about the kingdom in verse 14. And the entering would be entering into the kingdom where he's going to experience all the rewards and benefits of that kingdom. Okay. Now look at verse 22. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. Here's the response. The Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many. Enter. Key word in all these parables. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And we see again another reward. Now look at verse 24. Then he who received one talent came and said, and I love this, just immediately being start making excuses. Just starts immediately making excuses. First words out of his mouth. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. See? Now this isn't true. This is not a true statement. This, this is an excuse. This man isn't a hard man. Is that what he says in verse 24? No. Hard man? No. Not a hard man. He's just rewarded these other two servants with rulerships. He's giving them more. He said, good, faithful servants of mine. Here's your reward. He's not a hard man. This isn't the truth. This is a lie. This is an excuse. If he were really that hard, as this man says, guess what he would have done? He'd done whatever he could to make some money, wouldn't he? He wouldn't want to face the consequences. But he hasn't done that. Instead, he's just buried it and he's ignored it. This, and he figures he can get away with it because the man's just the opposite. He's not hard, he's a softy. It's 
So he figured I could just bury it and somehow the master's a pushover. He'll forgive. He'll forget. Ah, oh, that's okay. Yeah, I must have an idea that God's like that. And then he says in verse 25, And I was afraid and, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look. There. You have what's yours. Take it back. Take back the you know, one ounce. So, the truth of the matter is, he just decided not to serve his Lord in his absence, and he decided to serve himself. Just dig the hole, throw it, forget about it. Do what I want to do every day, between nine and five. So, the man is really just lazy. The man is selfish. And we see this in verse 26. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You no good bum. It's a nice way of, that's how I would say it. And he, he plays on the man's own words, basically. He says this. You knew that I reap where I have not sown. In other words, if that's your contention. And gather where I have not scattered. So you, if that's the case, if that's your, your theory, look what you should have done. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own and with interest. That's what you could have done at the least. You have to do that at least that much to still be a servant serving me in my absence. At least put it in a 1% account and get me, get me a dollar and one penny. You know, one of those types of things. So look at the result, verse 28. Therefore, take the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given. That means those who do more in service in my absence will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Wow. Now notice 28 is what you're to do. Therefore, take the talent from him. Okay. Here's the reason. Verse 29, 4. Because he's done nothing. Take what he even has and just get rid of it and give it to somebody else. Now look at verse 30. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, here's the tragedy. Three servants given resources according to their ability. Two of them use their ability and are rewarded handsomely. One does not use his ability or the resources during his master's absence and he is punished. Could all three have received rewards? Yes. But only two receive rewards. Now what's the lesson for us? And it becomes obvious, if you think about it, God has given each one of us resources. Everyone in this room has been given some sort of resources. And uh, he's given us a job to do. And he's given us resources according to our ability to use those resources in his absence for his good and for his glory. He doesn't expect a person like me that has 
a level one ability to do what a person with a level 10 ability can do. But you know what he wants me to do? Do what I can do with level one ability. Just reach my potential. So he gives us resources and he gives us a job to do and he endows us with certain abilities to do those jobs. So the question is, are we living up to our potential and using the resources that God has given us while he is absent? Because one day there's a reckoning. See? And for example, I know that everyone's not a great soul winner. We all don't have that ability. I think it's foolish when you start putting a guilt trip on people. I've been an evangelism professor for years. I know that some people have ability. Some people don't have those abilities. I know we've all been given the gospel. That's the resource. And guess what we should do with the gospel? We should use it and share it with other people. And at least, listen, at least, we should see one person come to Christ in our lifetime. If you have a level one ability, you should see at least one person come to Christ in your lifetime. Look, if each one of us doesn't win at least one person in our lifetime, then the population of Christianity depletes the moment I die. I have to win one person in order just to replace me. So we all have that ability. So all of us have this gospel resource. We need to use it as we can. We all have money. Uh, now, some people have been blessed by God, and they're multimillionaires. And when they thought back, when I was 16, to think that I would have, you know, $20 million now, unthinkable. I don't even know how it happened. It just happened. And guess what? And he's given you this ability. And now you should be using that in God's absence for his glory. Some are poor as church mice, but guess what? They still should be using. Does that mean they shouldn't give the time, for example? Well, you know, I know that. I, but you, Lord, here's the excuse. But you, know, Lord, I'm just sort of can't hardly pay off this and do that. That's just an excuse. So we all have been given money and resources, and we should be doing something with it. Whether it's bringing a can of food, they're going to Costco buying a can of food for a poor person, and you're going to see in chapter 25 when Christ has this great judgment, He's going to say, "When I was hungry, did you feed me?" Oh, we didn't know that. He said, well, if you didn't do it to the least of these, with your resources, you haven't done it to me. We're going to see that we need to be using our resources in some way for his glory. We've all been given influence. I have influence over students, and sometimes over my youngest son. Uh, my other two sons don't listen to me. But, uh, we have influence. Are we using it for the kingdom? Because one day we're going to give an account. And since we don't know the hour or the day when he's coming, when he's going to judge and he's going to take other people into the kingdom, we need to be prepared in the meantime by working for the master. And the saddest day, I think, in history is going to be the day when we stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, we walked forward, we did this, we did that. But since that time at the altar, since that day of baptism, 
I haven't used my ability one whit for your kingdom. It's all about getting my kids in college, about feeding my family, just about all these things, just centered on myself and my family. I haven't done anything for your kingdom. And when everyone else goes in and become rulers in the kingdom of Christ, some will be left out. You know, all he asks us to do, he doesn't ask much. Just live up to our potential and serving with the resources we have. So here's my challenge. I want each one of us this week to do something. I want you to go home. And I want you to think, what resources do you have that you could use for the Lord? And think of your abilities. And then based on the resources you have and your abilities, come up with a little plan of what you're going to do in the next week. Not next 20 years. That's too fantastic. Just what you're going to do in the next week with the resources that you have and the abilities you have to serve the kingdom. And if you do that, that is what the preparation is. That is what it means to be prepared. And then when he comes, he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Amen? Next week we'll look at the end of chapter 25. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help each one of us to get an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective on things. Help us to all realize that you have given us resources that we didn't have when we came into the world. As the Apostle James tells us, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that we have, we've accumulated since our birth. And everything we have, we will leave behind at our death. Resources. Oh Lord, help us to take these resources that are at our disposal and apply our ability to using them for your kingdom. Help us to come up with a plan for this next week. In Christ's name, amen.